18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy, right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, Pumpkin left, Alert, Charlotte left, on one. Bunch right, Zach, we'll go 15 tip scissors, cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. sure we hit on um was our guy phil longo made his debut at wisconsin mm-hmm. and uh just like we said man they ran the football they they, <laughs> they definitely set the tone running the football they ran the football and when you have two backs like they have uh braylon allen ches malusi you'd be silly not to run the football yeah, and sure. They ran. They went. They ran for over three hundred, and I think didn't. They didn't even throw for two hundred. They didn't really have to, right? But this is kind of what I was expecting from Wisconsin. Is Phil Longo's a ball coach? Like, yeah, they may be air raid in theory, but it was cool to see them kind of get rolling on the ground. And you got. One running back, uh, obviously, Malusi broke like a 90-yarder or something, so it mm-hmm. skews the stats a little bit, but you're averaging 12 yards and 8 yards a carry, respectively. So I think Phil Longo is right on pace with his North Carolina team that had, uh, I want to say, Javante Williams and Michael Carter uh, yep. at running back. So, yeah, again, I know it's Buffalo and maybe not the stiffest competition that Wisconsin will face all year, but I expect them to be um, – be a problem running the football out of those kind of spread formations this season. And it, it was cool to see them get, get rolling on the ground a little bit to start the year off. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like if you're a team that you've got a first year coach, you got a first year offensive coordinator, you got some transfers come in. I feel like Buffalo is like the perfect team to play week one because they're good enough to, <laughs> if you, if you screw around, like they can beat you, they're you know they're good enough to oh, do yeah, that. No like you know, Appalachian State did with A and M last year. It's like if you screw around enough, they're gonna take this game. But yeah, they're also you know you definitely have the more talent. You should beat them. And so you that game was a little close to start. You know you could tell that it was, Wisconsin was still, you know they were trying to figure some things out. Buffalo plays really good defense. And it was, you know, it was tough for him. But then, you know, Malusi breaks that big run, and then it was just kind of like, okay, they, you know, They've now, got this in hand now we're gonna roll. And so it'll be. I, I was, you know, you can see my Jake's takes back here behind me. I was pretty down <laughs> on my takes with Tech losing, uh, Clemson losing, and SMU was kind of hit or miss. I wa- I watched a good amount of that SMU game. All after OU scored 73 this week, I don't know if I have as much confidence about them going into into Norman and taking that one this week, but I still feel good about my Wisconsin prediction about them winning the Big 10 West. So hopefully hopefully when the Broncos kick off this weekend, I'll have at least two that I can feel good about. <laughs> we'll be feeling we'll be feeling good. I mean, speaking of Jake's takes, are we? Are we? Do you want to start to start by talking about Texas Tech or Clemson? What's uh... yeah, let's let's go with Tech first. Okay, um, man, that's a tough one. I mean, it I was, was. It was once a tough again texting you, Rashad. I was I was fired up after those first two drives. Um, 
looked really good. I they mean, they were clean efficient. on those first they were, two drives. I mean, they were playing. They were playing quick. They were blocking well. They were running the ball well. They were, I mean, getting the ball to the right guys, and it was just like, you know, then all of a sudden they turned it over a couple times. They would, you know, get into Wyoming territory and, you know, turn the ball over or, you know, get stopped on fourth down. And that just, I think, yeah, here's my third downs um, that they didn't convert. They had third and eight, third and eight, third and nine, third and six, third and 12, third and eight. And they ran for 2.8 yards per carry. And so, you know, honestly, I think the passing game looked pretty good. It did. But they, can't, they became one-dimensional at a certain point, and Wyoming was kind of able to sit back um, on the passing game. So I think that's going to be a big challenge for them moving forward. And, you know, you got Oregon coming into town this week. I think that's a good and a bad thing, you know, a, a good thing because, you know, you're like, hey, we can't <laughs> – you know, we're not going and playing a nobody team or we're just, you know, we're going to fluff our numbers and we're just going to look really good. It's like, hey, we still got a real opponent coming in here. Right. You know, let's, let's get this one, you know, watch the film, get it out of the way, learn from what we can learn from. You know, that's that's a tough game going up to Wyoming week one. I mean, that's a lot of travel. There was a weather delay to start the game, which – you know, isn't really an excuse because they came out and they got up 17-0 right on them, but it's almost like, you know, maybe fall asleep a little bit just because you are up 17-0. You kind of think, okay, we got this in the bag. Let's, you know, get back home. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, we're in, we're in a dogfight here. Dogfight, so, yeah. Once again, you know, kind of going back to the Wisconsin and Buffalo game. I mean, Wyoming's one of those teams you got to be careful of, you know, when you're playing week one, especially when you're traveling to Wyoming. I mean, that's Wyoming – historically is you know obviously everybody knows about josh allen but they're a team that they're not one that's just going to lay down and and let you beat them and they're i mean they're a tough team and i i can't remember what quote their guy said at the end of the game but he pretty much said that they you know they knew if they kept pounding them that they're they're gonna lay down and i wouldn't say that you know tech really laid down and just gave up but i mean you could tell they were definitely you know on the hurting end towards the end of that game yeah, I mean, Wyoming's a tough football team. Craig yeah. Ball was at North Dakota State forever. So, I mean, his identity is to be physical, to run the football. You know, North Dakota State's known for that A-gap power scheme. And, you know, I don't think Wyoming's – again, I didn't, I didn't watch enough of them offensively. I don't think they're as under center, kind of downhill as they used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but they still kind of have that as a as a piece of of who they want to be, and yeah. yeah, you can't you can't mess around with these teams. Um, yeah. You know, Tech's up seventeen nothing; they're rolling. That's when you got to kind of put the nail on the coffin, and they just kind of let Wyoming hang around. I think that's like that's really what it was. And again, I think when the ru the running game isn't where you want it to be early in the season. I think for me as a play caller, a lot of times you're like, oh, shoot, we're really struggling to run the ball. Let's revert to QB run game. And that wasn't quite as successful as you would hope either. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they can, they can throw the football. They can do a lot. But I think just from a quarterback's perspective, having the pressure of, third and long on you quite a bit it it wears on yep. you mentally throughout the course of the game 
because each yeah. time you convert third and long is a massive deal. And each time you don't convert it, obviously you're off the field. And so it's nice as a quarterback to be able to be in a third and one, hand the ball off. All right, we're rolling. We're back to first and 10. Yeah. You get in a lot of third and eights like they did. And it's just, it's not fun. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I think Texas Tech's going to bounce back. I think they're a well-coached football team. Um, but interestingly enough, I think in some ways with the carousel they had going at quarterback last year, they were able to sprinkle in some different looks and yep. have a guy go out there and run the football, uh, be more of like a almost like a wildcat type team. Um, and maybe they need to find a little bit of that moving forward. Um, yep. And maybe they weren't expecting to need it against – uh, Wyoming, but I think the rest of their schedule, the way it shapes up, they're going to need to be able to run the football more effectively. And I wonder if we start to see some more designed QB run game stuff, not just with Shuck, but with, with others as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just like we said earlier, you know, you got teams that, you know, feel like the sky's falling right now. And obviously them having to play Oregon week two doesn't feel much better after, you know, losing to Wyoming. But in the grand scheme of things, you're still trying to go out and win the Big 12. And neither one of those teams is a Big 12 team. So regardless, win or lose against Oregon, hopefully you go out and you have a good showing. And now it's, you know, we turn, I'm assuming they probably have one more non-conference, but then turn your focus towards, I mean, the Big 12 is wide open. I mean, you can say you know, oh, you put up 73 this week, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, who are they playing? And then, you know, Texas didn't look their best against Rice. I mean, they're probably happy that they're playing Rice this week and not Wyoming. Or, you know, it's, you know, that's one of those where, you know, it could have got, you know, I think they're, what, 13 or 16 to 3 at halftime, something like that, and got stopped fourth and one a couple times. You know, we're not going to talk too much about them just because, you know, opponent that they had on the other side and they've got Alabama this weekend coming up and be a little bit more of a test, but I mean, Kansas state, you know, is probably your most, you know, solid team that, you know, you just kind of know what you're going to get from them. Everybody yeah. else. Yeah, I would agree. feel like there's a lot of question marks. Yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think the big 12 is going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. I don't think there's, like a, a far and away front runner. I mean, you'd say Texas, I think based on talent alone, but mm-hmm. weird things happen in the big 12 every year. Um, yep. I would expect Oklahoma to be a lot more competent offensively in year two For of sure. Jeff Levy. Obviously yeah. they took Arkansas state to the woodshed, but Arkansas state <laughs> looks rudderless right now. Yeah. So I don't know if that's too much of a signal Although I will say there was there's a one play in particular that I thought was pretty cool from uh, from Oklahoma. You, if you watch the highlights, you'll kind of catch it. They've used Stoops a lot to do it. They basically tightened down the alignment of their receivers. And it wasn't a screen per se. It was like an out route and a vertical. But with Arkansas State playing in off coverage, basically as soon as the receiver caught the ball, they engaged blocking. And so it was like almost like a okay. downfield screen. And yeah. they had a lot of lot of yardage on that play and Dylan Gabriel was kind of able to spin it out there to Stoops or other guys and um, kind of an interesting little play off condensed alignment a lot of times when you pull your receivers closer to the formation you're going to get off coverage from those DBs and it was kind of a a way to almost like steal or cheat yard uh, cheat or steal yards a little bit and 
this is back to when Jeff Levy was at UCF with Josh Heupel. They would do some of that, like, stealing yards on screens, on kind of their perimeter screens, where they would block downfield, and then the receiver would try to catch it at two or three yards and get upfield. And so it's like the gray area of legality in terms of, yes, if you engage in that block before the ball's caught, it is a penalty. But it's one of those things where it's like, is a college ref ever going to call that? Yeah, and exactly. You know, if you're bang bang, it's you're fine. And so, yeah, I saw I saw a couple uh, linemen about eight or nine yards downfield this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like a legal man downfield is not a point of emphasis. But you're not seeing nearly the amount of like old school RPOs that you're used to seeing. Like, oh, you're not no. seeing in breaker RPOs. I think that's something defenses have really taken away. Yep. And uh, me personally, as a as a high school offensive coordinator, I hardly mess with it at all because it's yeah. kind of a dangerous throw. Yeah, and the upside is not worth the downside of those in breaking RPOs right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. You're not you're not I mean, seeing the only team I really saw do it a bunch was um, was Colorado, and instead yeah. of doing. Just like you're like you were talking about the glance earlier, like your single like they would do it with their single receiver, but the um tight end in the backfield, he was running like a flat route to pull yep. that safety or that outside yeah, exactly. linebacker out to clear up that window for him, as opposed to just having that guy run that route and all of a sudden that safety might step up into the run fit while you pull it to throw it, he drops and now he's, you know, under your window. Yes. Now it you're actually pulling that guy out of the window with you know, now you obviously you're losing a blocker, but the play is designed to we still, you know, have five to be able to block. We'll pull the tight end out, you know, get the safety out of the way. We can hit that slant or glance, um, whatever it is behind it. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're going to see less downfield RPOs this season yeah. than you're used to seeing, and I think you're going to see. Uh, a lot more kind of horizontal RPOs, like arrow screens and kind of stuff on the backside, like what USC was doing. Uh, USC, speaking of which, not much to report on from that Nevada game, other than them running everyone's favorite seven-on-seven play, where they <laughs> ran double smash, Yes, they pulled the guard, and the running back went straight down the chute. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like, in some ways, I'm like, is Lincoln Riley trolling us? Yeah. With some of these play calls of like, I don't know. It's it's and Caleb Williams is trolling too because he's just like did like three <laughs> pump fakes to the right side. Like how many people oh like back to the side of the field and then just turns and just whips it right over it's the middle. Wild. It's wild. It's like it's like they're just they're just pl- messing with people. They're just messing with people right now. Uh, back to your um your arrow you were talking about. I, I, one of the things I forgot to talk about. Um, I can't remember who ran it. I know Colorado ran it once, and one other team ran it that I saw. But, you know, a lot of teams run, like, the return motion where yeah. the slot will, you know, come into the backfield, look like, you know, they're going to motion to the other side, and then they, you know, motion back out to the same side they're on, and then you snap it, and you try to get, you know, get a guy with leverage on fourth down or in the red zone um, or goal-to-go situation, kind of similar to what the Chiefs were doing with, like, um were they doing it? I can't remember. Did they do it with orbit? Did they fake the orbit last year? Or did they just do a re- regular return motion? They may have done the orbit, or they kind of go under the quarterback and then end up like a late orbit. 
kind of yeah. the other way. It's yeah. Kind of, kind of but anyway, normally, yeah, kind of normally you see the guy like motioning back out before the ball snapped. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, at least I know when Colorado did it, they snapped it while that guy was still on the move, almost like he was going to get the jet or he was going to get, you know, or uh, like yeah. fake the run. And then they would kind of fake the, like he would kind of hold fake the inside zone. And then that guy would just, you know, chopped up, chop, whip back out to the flat, run a little arrow. I mean, and they ran it on like fourth and two and that safety that's chasing him, you know, still had a chance to make the play, but he's just, you know, out leveraged and you're trying to tackle one of the fastest guys on the field in space. I think Colorado is going to take that all day. Don't and I think doubt. that's just one that you can do so many things off of. And, you know, even like you can with the return motion, just because you bring so many eyes to it when you do it. And after people have seen it, they're going to try to jump it. And then now you've got like the crack corner or whatever behind it. But I just thought that was really cool that they actually did it where the guy was still on the move when they snapped it and then was able to quick, you know, and you've obviously have to have a guy that can, you know, change direction pretty fast no to doubt. be able to do that. Yeah. But I thought that was a pretty neat one as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, to circle back to Colorado, I, I know I was kind of talking a little bit about the run game, but the more I'm thinking about it as we're talking and as we're kind of seeing the evolution of the college game with the clock rules and all that, I wonder if you're going to start seeing college teams use the running back, like throwing to the running back as like a stand in mm -hmm. for handing it off to the running back. Yeah. Um, and, and Colorado, the screen, obviously two explosive plays to the running back Edwards, particularly, yeah. obviously he ran the rail and scored, but the screen they ran to him where he took it to the house, kind of a that true like right slip screen. The third quarter. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And then the fourth down play where they ran Andy Reed's mesh traffic play mesh. where they put the, put the running back on, basically on the mesh and he yep. just outruns a linebacker in man. And so I'm wondering if that's another trend we're going to see in college football is, Hey, yeah, we may not turn around and hand this kid the ball 25 times, but we're more talk. We're more thinking about how do we sprinkle touches and you may start to see, you know, I just remember like a, like a Marshall Falk or a Darren Sproles, they're having 100 catch seasons. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're not running the football as much as like a Derrick Henry, but their usage is through the roof. Austin yep. Eckler's another one with the Chargers, like 110 catches or whatever. So that's what I'm wondering if we're going to see more of that in college football, more throwing to the back as a stand in for the run game and kind of being okay with that. Like that's how we're going to supplement touches to these explosive backs out of the backfield. Like, like the Edwards Edwards kid from Colorado, uh, you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that makes some sense with. Yeah. Just the mean, direction if, you look the at, if you look at Colorado's offense too, they don't really have, I mean, they've got some good running backs, but they don't have a guy that I don't know if they're confident on fourth and two that they can just call power in this dude can Correct. just, you know, plug Correct. it up in there. And if he meets the Mike linebacker in the hole, if he's going to be able to run that guy over and get a first down. But right, right. they do feel confident when it's fourth and three. Like you said, they can run some mesh traffic, and Shador Sanders is going to read it right, and they bring yep. the nickel off the backside. He's just going to dump it right over his head, and you're going to have the Mike linebacker chasing him out of the backfield, and you're never going to catch him. 100%. Yeah. They, they had some great calls on, you know, red Big zone moment. calls. Yeah, fourth and short calls. It was impressive, man. Sean yeah. Lewis bringing it, bringing it. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So 
we've talked about Texas Tech. Another Jake's take was that Clemson was going to be back in the college football playoff. How are we feeling about that? Are you are you are you keeping it on the board, or how are you? How are you, you know, after I'm a I'm a man of integrity. I'm not gonna okay. I'm not gonna erase anything off the board. <laughs> I'll take I'll take my lumps, and it was a there tough weekend for me to go. start. Um, I don't feel great about them making it to the playoff because a two team a two loss team hasn't made it to the playoff, and they play Florida State in a couple weeks. They, do. And they also have to play Notre Dame later this year. And if you were just to ask me right now, I'd say chalk up both of those as a loss. Um, if you were to ask me before this week, I'd say they probably would be able to split those two and go 11-1. and one. Now you're talking about you already have a loss that's not a very pretty loss. I mean, we'll see yeah. what Duke ends up being. Um, you know, Mike Elko, former A&M defensive coordinator, it was, you know, quite the loss whenever he went to Duke. I know that. Um, no doubt. He's doing a great job over there. But I think it was definitely, you know, if you watch that game back, self-inflicted wounds that really, you know, killed Clemson. If you look at their second second half, first and goal at the Oof. one, no points, missed field goal. First and goal at the seven, fumble. First and goal at the one, fumble. Um, and then you had the Klubnik slide on fourth and seven where he slid, you know, short of the sticks. They got the targeting, but because he slid, you know, and everyone and their mother is like, well, that's a dumb rule where it's like, well, if – you know, you know the games on the line fall forward and don't slide. And you know, I, I to me, I think sliding is like one of the most dangerous things to do as a quarterback. Hundred oh, percent. I, I was always a fall. I never felt comfortable sliding. I was always just like a fall forward type of guy because it's like, I mean, to me, you can absorb that hit a little better than when you're throwing your head back and some oh, dude's like, you know, flying I, in on you. And I get it. Like if you're if you're in open field and you can see everything happening, it's like fine slide, but it's like, man, game's on the line. You got to kind of put your head down and go, go fight for that one. And then I think he threw one more interception after that. Um, but yeah, just kind of walking, watching back, watching back the film a little bit. One kind of like we were talking about, I think, you know, Will Shipley's got to be their dude. I think they just oh, got to yeah. find as many ways as possible, giving the ball in the run game, getting the ball in the pass game, find creative ways to get him the ball because I don't know if they have the talent on the perimeter really to push the ball down the field as much as they want to. And just from, you know, I think club Nick is going to be a guy. I said that before the season, I think he's got all the tools to do it, but just from watching that game, he looked a little bit lost in the drop back pass game. Like the very first drive they ran white cross and, you know, I used to scream at my quarterbacks that the post curl was always open, but I mean, he, he stared down the cross coming across the entire way, the backside safety. I mean, they're in too high, which should scare you to throw the cross anyway. Yes. Because if that safety doesn't go, you know, running out with the go, because they're running a three by one. So if that safety doesn't go taken off, you know, with the go route on the single receiver side, I mean, that should be the first guy. I mean, look at peak your one-on-one. If you see the safety clear out, it's like, okay, I can take my cross if, you know, he beats the backer. But that safety never left that hash. He was sitting there the entire yep. time. And the backer, you know, contacted the cross. So it's like, okay, my eyes should go off of that and go right to the post curl. And if and they showed it from the backside angle. And that post curl is just sitting there wide open. But wide it was open. like he, in his mind, you know, probably in practice, it was like hit the wide cross, hit the wide cross. So in his mind, he's like, I'm going to hit this wide cross. And he just stared at it so bad. I mean, he threw it and he led the guy a little bit too far. And I mean, it hit the safety right in the chest. He ended up dropping it. 
but it just seemed like the whole night, just any time they were in a third and long or anything like that, and they were trying to run some sort of down-the-field concept, he just yep. he looked like he had antsy, happy feet. Their protection wasn't always great. They were pulling the guard some, and that just didn't seem to ever really be working for him. It almost seemed yep. like it was working against them. Um, but when they ran kind of some more of like the RPOs and the bootlegs where he got to, you know, get out of the pocket a little bit and he had tight ends working across the field. You could tell he seemed to be a little bit more comfortable. Um, so I think maybe in the weeks moving forward, kind of maybe build off of that a little bit and then kind of build the rest of your passing game off of it. And that's hard because if you're not pushing the ball down, I mean, we've been talking earlier about, you know, all these teams pushing the ball down the field and now you're talking about, we've got to limit ourselves to this, you know, five to 15 yard space. I mean, a defense can really pick on that, especially, you know, you saw Florida state kind of do that to LSU the other night. And I think they played like week four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they Clemson won the yardage battle. They won the time of possession battle. Uh, they seemed like they were able to move the football pretty well. Mm-hmm. And red zone turnovers, man. Terrible. Red zone turnovers get you beat. Like, turnovers get you beat, period. Yeah. But red zone turnovers are like a – it's like a 14-point swing, it feels like. Yeah, that's demoralizing. Not even if the other team scores. Like, they may not even score. Yeah. But it's like you had a chance to to bury a team. And the fact that they got to the one-yard line twice and didn't score out – score either time. That's wild, man. That's wild. Yeah, and I, you know, I think a lot was made, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Jake. I don't know the exact quote, but it was along the lines of Dabo Sweeney saying, you know, this isn't Garrett Riley's offense, this is Clemson's offense. We've always worked collaborative, collaboratively as a staff to put this offense together. You know, this is the Clemson offense. Um, how do you take that? I think different people have taken that different ways, mm-hmm. but how do you take that hearing that, that type of, yeah. uh, I, I would hope there's comments. a little bit, I would hope there's a little bit of a different conversation happening behind closed doors with him and Garrett. Cause I would assume that's not what Garrett Riley was told when he accepted the job. Like, correct. And I, I totally get like, you know, the team is the most important thing we're, you know, we, Obviously, as an offensive coordinator, you're always going to, you know, pick the brains of the other guys on the staff. But, like, at the end of the day, you know, you're talking about the Broyles Award winner coming in, you know, trying to take your offense that's been struggling the past year or past couple of years to the next level. And now you're telling me you want me to do things your way when, you know, really, I'm the guy that's trying to bring you back to where you were. And now you're kind of pulling, you know pulling me in with you I'm just I'm I'm worried that if it if that is the case that if he is trying to you know kind of micromanage Garrett Riley that this is going to be a one-year thing and Garrett Riley's going to be out of there because I I just that's that seems like a really hard situation for a guy that has been running an offense at a super high level for the past couple of years and you know, is being looked at for some head coaching jobs and decided to go take a top offensive coordinator job. I mean, that's that's a tough situation to be in, and that's kind of somewhere where all of a sudden you can look at your career potentially taking a step back if things don't go well. And and I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think it's, you know, once again, one of those things where things can, 
you know, maybe be misconstrued a little bit, but I do think, you know, a conversation hopefully oh, is man. being had between those two because he's just too good of an offensive coordinator and offensive mind to handcuff him and say, hey, here's the way that you're going to do things rather than let him, you know, use the mind that he has and, and just, you know, let his guys go out there and ball. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by this situation because mm-hmm. uh, I think I don't think any of us were expecting a comment like that to come out. And here's the thing is like, I don't think most offensive coordinators, obviously there are some massive egos out there, but like for the most part, people aren't saying, well, this is the, this is the Jake Hubenack offense. You know, it's like, that's not really how you talk about your offense or your system or anything like that. It's not a, it's my thing. It's, it's, but there is a sense of kind of, autonomy and freedom to make the adjustments you need to make and use the terminology you want to use and teach the way you want to teach. And again, this could all be getting way blown out of proportion and we're like, you know, contributing to a false narrative here. But I think for me, my guess is Garrett Riley's saying, no, we're running Garrett Riley's offense, not Clemson's offense. Like, I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's communicating that in any way. But I think those comments make it seem like, oh, actually, you know, you don't really have autonomy to Mm -hmm. call this the way you necessarily want to call this. And I think it's interesting. We've talked to like hundreds of play callers since we started this thing. And every single one is a unique individual, right? They're going to have things that make them comfortable in game. We talk with a Mac Leftwich at Texas State who just upset Baylor, and he is an intuitive play caller. He's not going to script 15 straight plays. Like, he's going to feel the game, and he would say, like, a lot of times I don't know the first play of the game until we get the ball, you know? And then it's like, okay, here we go. I know what I want to do. And so there's guys like that, and then there's guys that are super analytical that want want to be up in the booth with markers in their hands, and they want to be able to lay everything out and be academic about it. and the reality is like, if you're not able as a play caller to operate in a way that works for you, it makes game day extremely challenging Yeah, because your process is being interrupted by somebody doing something their way. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, like I'm assuming Garrett Riley's obviously still calling all the plays, but if you do have a head coach kind of questioning a lot of things or suggesting a lot of things yep. that can really disrupt the flow of yep. what you're doing. That's exactly and, what I was going to say. If he's in the headset, like on a crucial third or fourth down yes. and you're, you know, you're ready to spit something out. You're like, I've been in this situation. I know what I want. Yep. And he says, you know, try this or uh, let's, let's, <laughs> right. let's think about this. That's where you're like, Oh boy, like this is oh, not, man. Yeah. not what I was hoping for. Yeah. And, and it's like for the average fan listening, Imagine like being in school, taking a test that you studied for and then having someone come, come on in your headset saying, have you thought about this? And it's something that you're like, <laughs> ah, it just, it's not even that I'd it's going to like, out. See, I didn't want that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but I think sometimes people don't realize like the, the amount of pressure on these individual calls because the game is moving so fast and because you're processing so much information 
that when you have a lot of chatter on the headset, and again, I'm not saying there was with Clemson last night. I, I obviously don't know it well enough. But if there is a lot of chatter on the headset, it can be really, really challenging to clearly think and get to the best call. And so one of the things that I've always kind of pushed with coaches that I've worked with is like, hey, if we need to have a big conversation, let's have it between series. But during during the actual drive, I want information, not conversation, information, not yep. conversation. And so, again, I don't know. I don't know the dynamics, right? Like all dynamics are unique, but that was a curious comment to make and yep. seemed like an unnecessary comment to make. Because it, I can't imagine Garrett Riley being like, I'm bigger than Clemson. This is the Garrett Riley show. It doesn't yeah, really seem exactly. like his MO. So I don't know why we had to clarify and, that. And that's got to make him kind of have some questions when you read it. Like, why why did you feel the need to say that? Like, what right. What have I done? Or what do you not feel, you know, secure about what you're doing? Like, what's, right. what's the deal here? Yep. Trust is everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Clemson has stayed with, within the Clemson network for years and years and years. And now they go outside the network and before the first game ends, it's like, we're already asking questions. Trouble, and so trouble it's in just paradise. Trouble in paradise already. It's all, it's tough when you lose that week one, man, and yep. things aren't going as well as you want, but. Yeah, a huge challenge to bounce back from that. And yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see. I think I think Garrett Riley's a very good coach. I think they're going to be yeah. fine on offense. I can't imagine they're going to have another game where they turn it over inside the five and don't convert inside the five like that. I'm fairly certain he'll get that fixed. Um, so, but but I also think it's kind of a wake-up call. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that how that sorts itself out. One kind of G5 team that I wanted to hit on before we, we wrap up is, man, I was really, really impressed by Tulane. Mm -hmm. They've got Michael Pratt back at quarterback. Obviously, Tajay Spears last year, the stud running back that led him to um, a bowl, big bowl win over uh, USC. They look really good. They look deep. They look good up front. Um, multiple tight end sets. You'll see them get an empty. They run the football. They take shot plays. It's kind of a good mixture of that pro-style passing game and kind of more of a traditional run game. I think they're very physical, very disciplined. And uh, people might forget, like, South Alabama last year, they were kind of a war machine on defense. Like, they were they were locking people up on defense. And so to beat a team like that, 37-17, to 17, is really, really impressive. And when you, like go back and watch the film Tulane was really efficient uh, but Jake listen to these numbers from the quarterback he was 14 of 15 14 of 15 for almost 300 yards and four touchdowns I mean you can't play much better than that unbelievable and they just did a really good job mixing mixing things up they were in a great Wildcat reverse pass. They pitched it back to the quarterback, and he threw a touchdown. And uh, they ran some some good stuff, you know, verts stuff as well. And play action game was on point. The run game wasn't like dominant, but they kind of sprinkled it in with enough guys. They were able to run for 142. Uh, 
and and pass for 300 and yeah I mean, it was just definitely, what definitely pops out to me when looking at the box box scores like chunk plays like i look at like, oh yeah long rushes for yeah you had one two three four guys who had rushes longer than 10 yards yep and then you look at the receivers long 48 long 47 long 33 long 39 Big plays. like they yeah they can do it chunks they're gonna be uh they're gonna they're gonna be sneaky man when they go play is it all miss next week all miss that's gonna be that is a, gonna be a, a great game low, low key high key for us low key high key for us be one of the best games game. to watch this weekend because obviously I'm Ole Miss did what they did to Mercer, <laughs> but uh, it was just a, a beatdown. But Tulane's a really good football team. They went into Oklahoma a few years ago and really competed with Oklahoma. Uh, I would expect, I would expect them to play well. Um, yeah. I would expect them to play confidently. When you have a veteran quarterback, you always feel good about that. And I don't think it's a situation where Ole Miss is just gonna run them over. I think it's no. going to be, I think it's going to be a really competitive ball game. And I would not be shocked at all. If, if Tulane wins that football game, I would not be shocked. It's like when you're, when you're one of those group of five teams and you, you know, it's kind of like Boise state back in the day when they beat OU in the Fiesta bowl, it's like yeah. kind of that confirmation of like, okay, we can hang with the big guys. For sure. For sure. And then all of a sudden, that following year, you see that you see that number next to your name. It's like okay, everybody recognizes like we are a ranked team now. Like something about that, I feel like for those group of five teams, like that really does something for you. And so I think I think they're going to be riding high with some confidence um, going into that Ole Miss game this weekend. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you beat USC last year, and then you continue the momentum over a very good South Alabama team that mm-hmm. I don't know if you say should win the Sun Belt, but it's definitely in, in contention for the Sun Belt. And I would expect a very good football game, yeah. a very physical football game. Sure. And the cool thing about Tulane, as I've kind of watched them progress over the past few years, they would play teams really tough, like teams like Houston um, and Memphis and some of these other like top tier AAC teams, UCF the same way. And they'd be really physical, really tough, but it would just seem like toward the end of the game, they would kind of get out athleted. Yep. I don't think they're getting out athleted. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, I think they're recruiting well. I think they're developing yeah. well. I think Willie Fritz is one of the most underrated coaches in all of college football. And I think Georgia Tech is insane for not hiring him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know all the details of it. I know he was in the mix with that job. But if you're if you're a Power 5 school that needs a coach that's going to fix it, <laughs> Willie Fritz will fix it. Yeah. I promise you that. Absolutely yeah, promise you that. That's I'm pumped to watch that one this weekend. That'll be a fun one. Yeah. So speaking of games that you're kind of looking forward to watching next week, what are some matchups that you've kind of got circled on your calendar for week two? Well, personally, A and M against Miami. That should Gotta be love it. Um you know, A and M came out last week, did some really good stuff. I thought Petrino, you know, it just from what A&M fans have seen the past couple of years, it's like it would have been one of those games where, you know, Jimbo runs the ball into the ground going against a nine-man box, and he's like, you know, we're just going to keep trying to run it and run for two yards per carry. But it was like, you know, they're singling up one of the 
best receiving cores in the country. Like, hey, let's push the ball down the field a little bit. And Connor Wigman was extremely efficient, had five touchdowns, five incompletions. um, And some of those incompletions were, you know, just either getting, you know, getting blitz, having just put the, and, and what's impressive about him too, is he has, all the physical tools, but he doesn't put the ball in harm's way. Like he's yeah, now yeah. started or he's now played in like six games and he hasn't thrown a single interception going back to last year. Wow. You're not talking about a guy that's in his third or fourth year. You're talking about a true freshman last year and now a true sophomore this year. And I can't even really think of a time that it, you know, it's not like he's just gotten lucky where guys are dropping picks. Like he does an amazing job of, you know, knowing when to just, you know, throw the ball away or, where when he can force the ball to a guy a little bit, but putting it somewhere where, you know, it's out of harm's way. So that should be a fun one for us A&M fans. And, you know, same for Miami as well. Um, they're running, I can't think of the name of their offensive coordinator, but he comes from the Holgerson tree. So yes, kind of spreading it out a little bit more. Um, so, I mean, it'll be an interesting matchup. I can't think of his name. Um, especially... You know, with two new offensive coordinators coming in last year, it was kind of more of a low-scoring game, right. kind of a pillow, pillow fight a little bit to the end. <laughs> um, I think you'll definitely see some more offense in that game this week, and it's in Miami, so should be an interesting one. Utah and Baylor. I know, you know, Baylor's obviously coming off the tough loss. Utah coming off a big win against Florida, but still probably going to be without Cam Rising. That'll be an interesting one. Uh, Nebraska and Colorado, just seeing if Colorado can still keep it yep. rolling. Um, obviously, Nebraska with a tough loss last week didn't look too great on the offensive side of the ball, but I mean it's it's a big rivalry game, and it'll be it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens there. Um, Texas State and UTSA, that one's it just That'll seems like every one, year, man. every year that game just seems to get more and more important, and that's. That's, I mean, there's some big, if you think about it, some big recruiting battles that are probably going on between those two, you know, kind of oh, fighting for, you know, bottom of the first tier, second tier type players in Texas, you know, yes. or maybe some guys that, you know, are really good players that you're trying to keep in Texas as opposed to maybe going, you know, out to a different state. You know, maybe they're not getting recruited by the Texas and the Texas A&Ms, but, you know, we can keep them in state here. That's, you know, a big one to say at the end of the year, you know, hey, we we won that in-state rivalry against UTSA or we beat Texas State or whatever. So that'll be a fun well, one. Not to mention, G.J. Kinney played for Trailer at Gilmer High School in Texas. Did he really? So they he did. That's awesome. So those guys go way back. I think Trailer was instrumental in Kinney getting the UIW job. And I think they're really tight, really close friends. And so it's interesting. It's like you got Jeff Trailer, who's maybe like the ultimate program builder, kind of quote unquote, do it the right way guy. And I'm not saying GJ's not at all. It's not what I'm saying. But like GJ went and just portaled and just crushed the portal, brought in a whole bunch of kids at Texas State. And it's not that they're doing it opposite because i think ultimately the goal of texas state is to yeah, get back to get there. <laughs> texas recruiting without a doubt yeah. i know that's for a fact in just in talking with them but you're kind of seeing these this like almost battle of styles and kind of toughness and grit of utsa and kind of this fun explosive offense with texas state and uh again i think they're more similar than they are different 
but it's going to be an interesting game to see those two schools that are so close in proximity to each other play each other where that used to be a joke game for UTSA. Like they yeah. didn't, they didn't have to worry too much, but Texas state's a different animal now. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even a couple of years ago, nobody really cared about UTSA either. So, I mean, like you said, UTSA is kind of taking that UTSA is kind of taking that next step. And so now Texas state's trying to do the same. And I think UTSA is looking at that game. Like we don't, we don't want them, you know, cause now, I mean, like I said, you're talking about sharing infringing on our world. territory. Yeah, that's, exactly. I mean, being what, 30, 45 minutes apart, you know, right down 35 from each other, you're talking about a lot of recruits that you're fighting for. So, oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. Obviously, you've got Alabama, Texas. We'll all be watching. Um, yep. It'll be interesting to see Alabama have to play a real football team and figure out what the quarterback situation is going to look like. Obviously, yep. Jalen Milrose, the starter, looked like he. It's pretty efficient with his feet as well as his arm this past week. Uh, but Texas is a different animal for sure. I think Alabama is going to be really, really physical. And, yeah, I wonder how crisp Texas will be offensively because uh, they didn't look super clean against Rice. Yeah. Credit to Rice. I mean, Rice battled. They played great they obviously on didn't defense. have the horses, they, but they I battled. Mean, got some stops on fourth and one. Pretty amazing. Um yeah. So they, they worked. Obviously, they couldn't get much going offensively. Uh, Texas's front, I think, is built different this year. Yeah, uh, sure. That'll be, that'll be a fun one for sure. I think, you know, everybody everybody's kind of keeping an eye on that. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued by Wisconsin-Washington State. Washington State actually beat Wisconsin last year. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Washington State they put should, up the numbers last week, too. They sure did. So they bring in the offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky, and they've got Cam Ward at quarterback, who's dynamite. Yeah. And, dude, I just feel like every single Pac-12 team is solid. Yeah. <laughs> like, any any Pac-12 team feels like they could win a game or two here or there, exactly. depending on mm-hmm. how, the, how the ball bounces. It really does feel that way. So, I, I mean, maybe not the elite games that you're – maybe looking to see or hoping to see one. I'll just throw out there. That could be fun. I hate, hate, hate when we schedule games on Friday nights, cause that's for high school football. But if you are awake on a Friday night uh, and not watching high school football, Kansas and Illinois could be a fun one. Uh, Illinois, Brett Bielema doing some good things there. And Kansas is a fun offense to watch. Yeah. One of my favorite offenses to watch. Andy Kaufman like, does a great there. job. What's that? So that's a little clash of styles in that game. It is very different styles, very different styles. So it'll be that'll be a fun one. But man, uh, good stuff for week one, and you know, obviously looking ahead to week two. We are loving getting to do this every week. Just getting to talk about football. It's like we probably would be on the phone anyway, talking about it. So just getting to share these conversations with with all of you guys as well. And please chime in with any thoughts that you have teams that we might've missed that you want us to talk a little bit more about. We know our audience is wide ranging all over the country. Uh, Even though we're from Texas and we talk about Texas a decent amount. um, We've got, we've got guys listening from Atlanta to LA to Seattle up Northeast, Boston, everywhere. So 
we appreciate you guys tuning in and we definitely want to want to touch on as many teams as possible. And obviously once the NFL season kicks in, we'll be bringing you even more NFL stuff as well as we were able to keep an eye on things and um, always, always, always looking at offensive football and, and ways that we can continue to move the game forward. So as always, we appreciate you guys and we'll be back soon. Victory.